Anything Combat with Johnny K. But it's Anything Combat, though. Welcome back to Balance to the Anything Combat show, where we discuss everything mixed martial arts. I'm your host, Johnny K. Today, we're joined by a bantamweight. He was on the most recent season of The Ultimate Fighter. Please welcome Cody Gibson. How are you, Cody? Doing good. Uh, two sessions down today, one to go, so... When I went on your Instagram, I found that you were on the same card as McGregor during the Dustin Poirier match, the first one ever in your in your stint in the UFC. How funny is that that your two careers have collided in this way? Can you just speak on that? Yeah, it was kind of like when everybody started realizing like how big he really was because um, he had some hype and stuff, but you know, the amount of people that showed up from Ireland to Las Vegas, uh, at UFC 170, I believe it was, um, it was, it was like, you had to like sit, you had to be there, you know, I don't know how else to describe it. Like it was, and then if you go back and actually watch the, the card, you can tell in the arena, like it's just full of Irish people. <laughs> like that was all it was, you know? So, um, and we had the same manager too. His manager, uh, Eric, uh, Audi Attar from Paradigm Sports Management. He was the first guy to give me a shot, man. I was with uh, Paradigm for damn about a decade. So, I want to ask you about that flying knee. So you cracked that flying knee on the Ultimate Fighter, and have you seen McGregor's reaction to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was completely speechless when you saw that clip. How did it make you feel? I mean, it was a it was a pretty nasty shot. So you know, I think <laughs> it was just one of those shots where it was like loud. You know, like sometimes when you hit somebody, it's like the th- the the softest thud, and it's like knocks them out or hurts them. And then sometimes it's like super loud, and it was just like a loud shot. So I think everybody was like, "Oh shit," <laughs> you know. What did you think about Uncle Dana? Uh yeah. I mean, he is the way he is. You know. I mean, he was cool. For the most part, he was cool with everybody, and, you know, um, he's a busy guy, so a lot of times, like, production and stuff is working around not only Connor's schedule, but uh, Dana's, too, you know, so um, he's in and out of meetings and doing different things all day, every day, um, so that was kind of interesting to see it from a different perspective, you know, you're, like, watching, just kind of watching his day-to-day and some of the stuff you'd see, and, like, that was kind of unique and interesting for sure. My question for you is, we've seen the Ultimate Fighter season's almost over, so Michael Chandler versus Conor McGregor, will that fight even take place? Because Conor's talking shit now. So so do you see a situation where Conor goes and fights like Makachev for the belt or or some other fight that's going to get him more money? Like, he's, he's talking like he's not going to even face Chandler. How do you feel about that? I mean, I think... I think that the fight's going to happen. Um, they both posted uh, Christmas uh, Christmas tree emojis the other day, and it made me think, okay, well, maybe this fight's going to get booked for December. Um, and then there was some, some speculation because last week's episode, there was a line in the episode about lighting them up like a Christmas tree. And so people were comp- – I was – a lot of the guys on the show, because we have a little group chat, you know, and talk to each other, and we were, like, confused. We were, like, are these Christmas trees about, like, a possible December fight between these dudes? Or are they talking about Landon? Just everyone's just, like, making fun of Landon. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know. You know, I hope I hope it comes to fruition. I know 
Chandler's kind of put all of his eggs in this basket. You know, he's sitting on the sidelines waiting for this big fight. And uh, I don't know. I don't really know how you're going to be like, I'm coming back. This is who I'm fighting. And then back out of that. Like, I don't know, you know? So what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. What do you think about Chandler's genetics? Why is that guy moving the way that he is? What the fuck is going on there? He's like 37, 38. On this podcast, I've brought it up multiple times. I'm pretty suspicious of him. I know, I know you shouldn't say shit like that on the internet, but I'm suspicious about Chandler's um, usage of supplements. What do you feel? What do you think about that? I mean, I think. It's be pretty hard these days to get around USADA. I mean, I'm sure guys are always a step ahead to some degree that are really that if they want to cheat, you know, I don't know. But I see him working out like a madman all the time too. So um some guys are just built, you know, with ge- genetic like a freak of nature. Um you look at a guy like I mean, I remember sitting on a treadmill uh next to Yoel Romero one time and I'm running on the treadmill. And I'm looking over, he's running on the treadmill right next to me. And I'm just looking at, like, the size of his chest, like, how big he is. Like, and I'm just, like, sitting there, like, I just, he looks like a superhero, you know? Like, you're like, what the hell is this guy made of, dude? And so maybe Chandler's like that. But I don't know. I think you always pop for something before, too. But I think he won a lawsuit about it, though. Like, it was, like, a contaminated substance or something in a, in a substance that he, that wasn't illegal he was taking. And then he, like cashed in like a lot of money off that maybe i uh i thought about yol for a very long time and the reason that i wasn't suspicious about yol is because if you go back to his wrestling days he's been 185 he's been a 185 pounder with that exact same weight cut since he was 20 in the olympics right and now he's around 40 46, 42, uh, I don't know what age he is, but he's in his 40s now, and he's stayed in the same division. He's only moved up to 205 now, and he looks more watery. If he had abs at 205, it would probably be an issue. At 185, though, for his entirety of his career of wrestling and MMA, his, his muscle mass, his, his endurance, stamina, everything, nothing's switched, and everything's been the same. So after a long duration of time, he's got all this backlog of, yeah, it's actually proven that He's just got insane Cuban genetics. What's funny is that the fact that you brought up Chandler, sorry, you brought up Yol after I said Chandler, and I was going to say to you, that's why I started laughing. Right before you said that, I was going to say, is Chandler the white 155 Yol Romero? That's what I was going to ask you. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I don't know. He, I think he, he takes his strict conditioning serious. Like, I, I don't know how everybody does it. I like, I think it'd be hard to cheat with USADA, but I'm sure, I don't know. But, uh, I don't know. I think that guy, like, he's one of those dudes who definitely geeks out over strength and conditioning, you know? Like, he knows a lot about it. Like, I'm the guy who, like, just shows him and says, like, all right, tell me what to do, you know? Um, and he, like, knows a lot about the, the kinesiology of it all and stuff like that. So, I don't know. Maybe he's a freak in nature. Maybe he just, he is really into like the supplements and like dialed. He's really dialed in with that on that kind of part of his game. So I, I'm going to say innocent till proven guilty. What was it like fighting for Chandler, uh, being a teammate with him? What was his, uh, what was his whole demeanor like? Was he a nice dude? Yeah, he was. I mean, uh, I, I feel like, you know, he, he's genuine and, uh, 
how he kind of treated us. Um, he always treated us with respect and, you know, he seemed to put our, uh, our needs, uh, at the forefront he put, and he worked really hard. That was the thing that was cool to see. I didn't really have a lot of expectations going into the house. Like, Oh, the coaches are going to care all that much about us. Um, they're kind of here for them, you know, and their moment in the, in the sun in this, in this case. Um, so I was like pleasantly surprised when he was like genuine and like, you could tell he's putting a lot of effort into like, you know, watching film, thinking about, uh, what we're going to do in the gym, uh, you know, kind of finding a happy medium between, you know, this is like the way we're going to do it. And here's some, in, you know, you each can kind of choose what you want to do. Um, you know, we had a team practice in the morning and then in the evenings, it was pretty much like, Hey, you want to hit mitts? You go hit mitts. You want to do some, you know, one-on-one -on -one privates essentially with Robert Drysdale. You can go over here and do that. You want to do some, something over here with strength and conditioning. I'll be your guy, you know? So he kind of like tailored it in a way. And, uh, I was just impressed with his coaching. You know, I, I've been a coach with, uh, like high school and, uh, kids wrestling and stuff like that. So it's, it's not an easy skill, you know, just being a coach and having to facilitate those sort of things. So I was impressed with them. And, uh, you know, it was cool to build a relationship and have some genuine moments, not just with, you know, Chandler, but his whole coaching staff and the other guys on my team too. Like, you know, what's funny about this sport is everybody always likes to talk shit to each other and like, you know, all that stuff. And I do too. I enjoy it. But, um, at the, like you start to learn like how much, you're very similar, you know, to one another. Um, fighters in general, like, have a lot of similar things about each other, usually. So uh, it was kind of cool to go through that experience with all those dudes, you know? What was it like now that the Ultimate Fighter didn't supply alcohol? Do you think that was a massive change? They still supplied alcohol. They had more bottles of Proper 12 uh, than you could ever imagine. Um, I think we're just in a different age of the sport, like, if you look like the Chris Lieben era ultimate fighter days, like the sport was still pretty raw. And uh, a lot of those guys were just like guys who got in a lot of street fights. And I, there's still some of that for sure. But I think everybody knows, like, if I want to compete at the highest level, like it's going to be hard to be like drinking all the time and taking this, like, you know, like you're just going to get beat, you know? And there was some of that that went on. Um, as guys got out of the competition and stuff like that. Um, but it wasn't, yeah, it, it's not, I, I don't know if they're ever going to have a season like the old days where they're just like breaking down doors and, and uh, partying their ass off, you know? That's such an interesting thing that you brought up because I was under the impression that they didn't supply alcohol anymore and that the ultimate fighter now was boring because, because, you know, like they didn't want people to get into random fights the fighters to fight each other at the at the house but that's really interesting that i've that you've basically disproven that and said that no fighters are way more disciplined now and that they take the sport far more seriously so that's just an absolute pleasant surprise um i have watched season one of the ultimate fighter with chris lieben and and that was horrendous have you watched season one and if you did what did you think about it like when you watched it What's crazy is, that, I mean, I've watched uh, all the early seasons of The Ultimate Fighter. Um, but what's crazy is watching Chris Levin today, man. That guy's, like, turned his whole life around. He's, like, been sober. He's, like, into refereeing and judging. And, like, he's down in the San Diego area. So, uh California guy like myself. So, you know, I don't think if you would have watched that show and 
and predicted the future that that guy would come out the other side and be okay. Uh, it's been cool to see that he has, man. That's uh, It's good to see those success stories, you know? Yes. Uh, actually, after Googling Chris Lieben and like researching his career and stuff, when I saw that the way he was talking about his life, about helping young men get out of the position that he was with alcohol abuse and, you know, bullying and helping people, you know, pursue their dreams in MMA. I was, I was so surprised. I think, um, I think that's one of the best comeback stories, one of the most underrated comeback stories in the sport outside of the sport. So, so props to him. He's, he's done an amazing thing with his career, but I want to talk about your career. So John, Dodson's one of your best wins. I rate John Dodson. I, I love his fights. He's moved to the BKFC. Also, Chris Lieben went to the BKFC. So I want to ask you, what do you think about that promotion? Uh, I did pay attention to it a little bit. And uh, at first I was like, oh, yeah, I'd probably be down for some of that, you know, if they're paying really good money. And then I watched Jason Knight fight uh, Artem Lobov in their first fight and i was like nah i'm good man <laughs> like i because i just know that you take that kind of those sort of cuts on your face like you're not coming back from that like your face is done um and so it was funny because when then we got on the show and i was told jason knight i was like i was kind of into the bare knuckle thing until i saw you fighting and uh i saw your face afterwards i was like i'm good you know i don't want to have that much scar i already have enough scar tissue so um <laughs> Yeah, man, I don't know. I think I'm good on that. <laughs> what about what about Mike Perry versus Luke Rockhold? What did you think about that fight? Did you watch it? Yeah, I did. Uh, man, Perry's a beast, and Rockhold. And the thing about Rockhold though is, like, I think the most dynamic thing about his striking when he was really on was his kicks uh, and his dexterity, and like he was slick, you know. And uh, but in like a dirty boxing in a dirty boxing ring with no gloves on, like you got to go with Mike. I, I kind of predicted like Mike Perry's gonna make this make this ugly and, and make it happen. So it's been kind of I still kind of watch him a little bit, but it, some of the times it's gruesome, you know. And uh, I don't know, man. Those guys just sling them the whole time. It seems like that's like an unwritten rule. You see some like good boxing techniques sometimes, but then nine times out of ten, you just see the guys start freaking winging hooks left and right until somebody falls, so it's kind of crazy. I consider myself sometimes an MMA purist. I think that the best should fight the best. I think the rankings should display who's the best. I don't think that they should do little dodgies where they hold back, you know, what they're doing with the lightweight division right now, keeping Gaethje, Dustin, Chandler away from people like, you know, Sayuki and... Demir's Magulov, Fazeev, all those guys. Like it's taken a while to get them into that part of the division. Gamrot, you know. So I feel like when I, when it comes to um, MMA, I think that it should be the the best fight, the best. Yeah, being an MMA purist, dude, I fucking love bare knuckle. I don't know what it is about it, but it's dude, it's rough and tough. It's fucked up, dude. Like it's just a car crash at, at all times. And guess what? I was talking to Don Shaness about this. He's a featherweight. He fought UFC Bellator. Um, and he basically said, dude, he said what I was saying. The little short, like, Muay Thai cuts in the clinch, when you incorporate that into the boxing game, because, dude, boxers, they've got this glove on, on them. Dude, they can't, they can't clinch. They can't grab. When you do no glove and you've got this Muay Thai clinch going and you pull a Robbie Lawler, boom, 
bump and you go to the body, it creates a new type of uh, play style, a new type of fight style. And because of that, dude, the amount of body shot finishes, you're probably ripping to the body more so than you're ripping to the head. And because of that, like, I just think that, I think that the people that get into the sport want brain damage. But if you do the sport correctly, I feel like, I feel like it's a safe thing to do. If you come in with the right game plan, I don't think you're going to get destroyed that much because your opponent, if he wings a punch at your head and you duck, then you're going to just break your hand. So you're disincentivized from attacking them like that. So I just, I love the sport. I just wanted to tell you that I think that, I think the incorporation of uh, the new bare knuckle type of style is sick. How do you feel about that? I was kind of skeptical at first, to be honest, you know, kind of like the slap fighting stuff, like, oh, it's just like a sideshow type thing. <laughs> but I'll be real, like, it is entertaining. Uh, and at the end of the day, like, I don't know, it's pretty pure when you're just like, there's no gloves on, you know, like, we should just add in some kicks and like, I don't know, I'm down to like, I don't know. But I also like, don't like the idea that everyone's breaking their hands all the time, you know? And you either got to pull punches because of it. You know, like, I don't want to hit him in the temple. Um, I don't know. I do like it. I, I got to admit, I like it more than I probably thought I was going to. And I and I do watch him when the big card's coming on. So so you just said about kicks. So Bruni's boxing is called Lethweight. I'm sure you might have heard of this. It's like Muay Thai, but you don't wear gloves and you're allowed headbutts. I've spoken on this podcast, I don't know how many times I've spoken about Lethway, like a ridiculous amount of times. What do you think about that sport? Have you watched any of the Brunies fights? I have not. I don't like the headbutts, though. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I think you got to draw the line somewhere. Headbutts, <laughs> groin shots, eye pokes, like fish hooks. Like, you got to have some sort of like semblance of rules. Um, I'm down for like knees to a grounded opponent to the head. I think they should definitely have us doing that. But I don't know if I like headbutts. I don't. It's just not that. It's not like a real technique. That's I don't know. There's like two sides that because on one side you're like, what's the purest form of fighting? There would be no rules. You know, like you would you wouldn't even have a cage where you could like run to into. You would just be like I guess in an open field, and correct. There would be no rounds. There would be nothing. You know, like there would be no rules. It would just be I don't know. If someone quits, you know. <laughs> I've uh, spoken about this exact topic like a million times. We will move on from it because if we don't, I'm going to talk about it for 50 minutes. But basically, in conclusion, I found that GSP said, give them an hour, one hour, open field, no time limit, allow everything, have gloves, have shorts, allow everything except groin or eye gouge. So you, you're allowed kicks on the ground, knees to ground an opponent. It stops stalling. It definitely allows you to um, – it definitely stops wrestlers from, from, allow, from pushing you up against the fence, holding you on the fence, and then you not being able to do a downward elbow on them. It, it stops all this stalling behavior. And to be honest, I completely agree with it, but that's just what the sport is right now. You don't know in the in the future. In the future, one championship might might put in some new rule sets or something like that. And in twenty thirty years time, we're talking about you know how big MMA is in um, Singapore. You know what I mean? Because we went from Pride. Pride was number one. 
and then we now are UFC. UFC is number one. I just think it's a cycle. I think that I think it's almost inevitable. You can have the longest stint possible. You can have a ridiculous long, you know, longevity. You can have longevity. It's just the fact that after a while, it's going to get impossible because I just feel like we're in the golden era of MMA right now. I know that people want to wish that, you know, your Fedor, Coleman, Randleman, that type of era with Hughes, BSP was the golden era, but I don't think it is. I think, I think from 2018 to 2030, I think that we're going to see, we're going to see people like superstars, like Chamaev, you know, Sean O'Malley's popping off right now. But I'm, I'm saying that I think that, I think that the sport's going to explode. And plus Connor's fighting right now, you know what I mean? I feel like, I feel like now is the, is the best time to watch MMA. How do you feel about that? I mean, I hope you're right, you know. Uh, I hope it keeps growing and more opportunities are presented for people. I think if the people at the top of the bill are always, um, you know, as long as everybody's getting more, you know, um, that's what you want to see. You want I want to see the best athletes choosing to become fighters as opposed to basketball players or football players because that's where the most money is, you know. Like, um, So, yeah, it'd be cool. I hope it keeps growing. I think I definitely – I get what you're saying, and I agree on the sense that I think that the evolution of the sport, the sport's changing. Like you see these new techniques get implemented all the time and in different ways. Um, and so like sometimes we'll see things and people don't even understand what they're seeing or watching and how things are changing sometimes uh, and just how we're understanding how to do this sport. You know, I think that's still an evolving door you know a thing that's happening um as far as the popularity like you said that'd be i hope you're right i don't know enough about that part of it or think of enough about that part of it like you are um but shit i think that's better for everybody right correct correct i spoke i, I brought up shorter valley i want to talk about his opponent Aljamain sterling you fought him unfortunately you came up short but dude Aljo's been the champion for over like a couple years now, maybe two years as the champion, defended the belt uh, three times. A very, very good fighter. I want to ask you, after that um, loss in your career, when you were watching his career, what did you think about his development? And what do you think about his accomplishments right now? I mean, I I knew he was a really good wrestler and kind of like his wrestling, his style of wrestling and grappling lends itself very well to mixed martial arts. Like, um, you know, he's so good at taking the back and, and holding the back and keeping on your back, like a, the ba- human backpack, he calls himself. Uh, I know I've taken a lot from him just in that sense, because we're similar build. We have we're similar height, similar reach. And so, like, I still talk, we talked not that long ago about um, using our length to our advantage in ways and finding ways to, to get that, that body triangle around the back. Um, so I always knew he had it as far as the grappling, um, watching his kind of development and his striking and how he kind of created a style of striking for himself uh, that allows him to still utilizes wrestling and that's like his main focus and he's going to be changing levels 15,000 times, but he can strike in a way. It's not always the prettiest. Like it's not going to, you're not going to watch, you're not going to get like professional kickboxers. Like that was the 
prettiest looking technique. But again, the sport's evolving, you know, and like sometimes I always feel like it's easier to fight guys who are uh, flashy and like their movements are predictable, you know, like sometimes like the guys that are herky jerky or like all over the place and like have weird movements are the hardest guys to fight because you can't read them as well. Uh, and I feel like Aljamain does a really good job of mixing up his wrestling to his striking. He's become more comfortable in the pocket. That was something early on that he seemed to struggle with. He just felt uncomfortable inside the pocket, and he's gotten a lot better there too. Um, and he's just become a better grappler. I mean, that dude has been putting a lot of people to sleep and uh, getting a whole lot, of, a lot of necks over the years. So, um, yeah, man, I I'm happy for him. It's good to see. I still want to fight him, but uh, you know. You never know. Might get my shot again someday. Hopefully you do. Hopefully you do. So I want to bring up a point that you just said. It's much harder to fight an unconventional striker than it is to fight an orthodox classical striker. And I totally agree with this statement. I believe in a couple of years' time that people will use Aljamain Sterling as a case study to say, look, it worked for him. It can work for me. The more people are comfortable with their striking style, people are trying to change their students. A lot of coaches are saying, no, you're supposed to, you know, stand like this, strike like this. But does that work for someone's brain? Yes or no? Aljo has gone, I feel like, you know, my arm's really long. If I incorporate elbows and then do a random spinning back fist or a random standing orthodox back fist, you know, he's throwing all this weird, unconventional striking. And let me tell you, two fighters that actually do this weird, unconventional style is actually Drickus Duplessis and Dustin Poirier. Now, people look at them and go, oh, they're so conventional. They throw conventional strikes. But truly, both of their timing is off. They're not timing one, two, three, four. It's more one two, three, four. So it's, 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 it's stuttered and it's stuttered in a way where you can't actually figure out when they're striking and when they're not. And that medium period of time where it's not, um, where it's unconventional and it's offbeat, that offbeat timing, I'm telling you right now, people, people were saying like predictions were saying, oh, in 20 years time, everyone's going to be so good at Muay Thai, uh, jiu-jitsu and wrestling like dude they you know they're going to be amazing they're going to be even better we're going to see a million um and sayukins a million charles oliveras right and me and my brother said what if people just refuse to get better at those sports what if people try and make their own styles and and do this type of unconventional uh striking and because of that someone like Algerman sterling has become so dominant in his, in his striking game, not to mention that he's an amazing grappler, he's become insane at striking off a weird style that no one would teach in any school ever. It's a completely him style. And I just feel like people people that are at length, if they're that tall that and have those attributes, I feel like people should stop um, worrying about how good they are at conventional boxing, Muay Thai, and karate. And I feel like if it's not working for you completely, then try to do it 
but also incorporate what you feel, what you know. Because Conor McGregor actually said at the start of his career, he said that it doesn't matter what martial art you choose or how you do it. It's a matter of mastering what you do. And because of that, I feel like Aljamain Sterling will beat Sean O'Malley because it's just such a difficult style matchup for Sugar. And I feel like the striking's comparable, but the grappling, he'll destroy him. So what do you think about that matchup between Sean and Sugar? Yeah, I think it's going to be, obviously, I think Aljamain has an advantage on the feet, you know. I'm sorry, in the wrestling department. Um, he can dictate where the fight goes a lot more than O'Malley can. Um, I will give O'Malley credit. Like, that dude's been busy the last number of years grappling, like, competing, you know, like. And there's a lot of dudes in the sport of mixed martial arts who don't like to compete in grappling. And I've always been like a big advocate of like, nah, put yourself in the fire as often as possible. Even if you like, like there was a point when I was competing in jujitsu tournaments where I was like, if I want to be competitive at the highest level of jujitsu and the adult division at the world championships, once I hit purple belt, I was like, all right. Um, I need to dedicate time to keep up with these guys in this martial art. And I knew I wouldn't do it, but I would still do tournaments. So I, at this point, I just know I'm going to probably get beat, you know, but it's like, um, I think it's just good to put yourself in, in, in grappling exchanges, but you know what I mean though? Like just putting yourself in competition over and over and, and O'Malley's done that. So, I mean, I think he could definitely hold his own on the ground, but. It's stylistically, like you said, a tough matchup. You're going to have Aljamain Sterling most likely on top of you. He, he could murk him, you know, could knock him out maybe. But I don't know. I think, yeah, I, I think people don't give Aljamain enough credit, you know. If if you haven't had your – if your eyes haven't opened yet to it, you know, I think the Henry Cejudo fight was pretty like, okay. Like, guys, he's not just like beating Peter Yan and Henry Cejudo and, and isn't like at that level, you know. So, um It'll be a good fight. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun one. Yeah, just let me add on that. I was uh, thinking about the um, tournaments that you were talking about. Sean O'Malley, I believe, submitted Takanori Gomi in a jiu-jitsu comp. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. I played that one. I remember. No, yeah, I think he's regularly competed. And I've noticed this for the last probably four or five years with that dude. He's regularly competed in jiu-jitsu tournaments, even though he's kind of you don't train sport jujitsu, you know, like you, you, if you're a fighter, you're not training sport jujitsu. It's a completely different sport. Um, good luck throwing a De La Hiva and thinking that's going to work too well in MMA. Like I trained enough sport jujitsu to realize like, Oh, these are definitely like two different focuses. You know, there's obviously things that overlap, but there's a lot that doesn't at the high levels of jujitsu. So, um, yeah, he's competing. I think, It'll be interesting, you know. I just think being on stuck on bottom against the cage, you know, it's not if he's like in the guard, that's interesting to me. Um, but if he's like giving his back up to Aldo Aldo and like and if he's like just got his head smashed in the cage the whole time, like it's hard to win a jiu-jitsu match off your back or a MMA fight off your back, um, in those kind of circumstances. Cody, let's talk about the one thirty five pound division. So in all sports, I say this constantly. I say the best division in the UFC right now is 155, in my opinion. Soon it will uh, be surpassed by 135. If you go to one championship, if you go to Bellator, Ryzen, 
every promotion in the world, boxing, Muay Thai, kickboxing, MMA, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, I would say that the 135ers are superior to every division. So I think that it's just a point in time that lightweight's here, but we all know that the best division in every single combat sport is the 135 division. So let's talk about it. So you had Aljo go up against Piotr, and Piotr is an absolute beast, right? And he goes to a split decision. So everyone says, oh, Aljamain's not too good, right? And then Corey Sandhagen fights Piotr, and we all know Corey Sandhagen's a beast, and they go five rounds. So they go, hold on, okay. So, you know, you know, Corey, Corey's pretty good. Piotr's really good. Cejudo comes back. Aljo and him go five rounds. It's a really close match. Cejudo, everyone says he's top 18, top 20 best MMA fighters of all time. On Tapology, they have him at an 18. Hold on. If you're going five rounds with the 18th best fighter to ever live, and you're actually, you actually win the fight, and it looks convincing, you're like, okay, this is a very, very quick-paced division. You know what I mean? No one's got more than five belts in the UFC. I know Dom Cruz got, you know, three three or four in um, three in WEC, but no one's gone higher than around six, seven. You know what I mean? So in the, in the UFC, it's actually been five because TJ got five. So we're saying that in the time that Cejudo was gone, Aljo had had gotten to that level where he could fight with Cejudo and Piotr. And then to throw everything I've said out the window, you've got Marab Dvalashvili, who just dominated Piotr Yan. How quick does this division move? How good do you have to be? I don't understand the math here. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's crazy too, because you see some of these guys and you see their own progression. Like Marab just gets better and better. Like, if you go watch Marab's early fights in the UFC and you watch him now, he's gotten so much better. Um, he's lost the first two UFC fights. Oh, did he lose his first two? The first two and then went nine win streak for the longest in UFC history. Yeah, I just, I, I saw, I was watching one of his early fights the other day, actually, and I just remember thinking, man, he's gotten so much better since then, you know? Um, and then the, his weird relationship, like his relationship he didn't get a fight, uh, Aljamain and him don't want to fight each other, um, which I understand. That's like your main training partner for years. And then like, I don't know, it's just kind of hard to fight each other, I think. But um, Yeah, just to interrupt you, sorry. They actually moved in near each other. I believe their houses are like five houses apart. So it's almost like, what, what you and me are going to agree to fight each other and then I'm going to go home, come to your house for coffee. You know what I mean? I, I don't think it works. Yeah, yeah. But Aljamain says he wants to move up after this fight, so if he can get it done, that kind of opens the door um, for Marab to fight somebody for the belt, you know. And if it's, I don't know, we've got we've got other big matchups in the division coming up too. So someone, if if O'Malley's coming off a loss, Cejudo's coming off an injury and a loss, um, Marab could be sitting pretty with a title shot against someone we might we might not expect, you know, someone like a Corey Sanhagen or. Somebody like that, you know, um, or even a Song Yudong if he gets a title eliminator. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys like waiting in the wings too, or you know, Umar. If he goes out and dusts Sanhagen, there's there's a, a case to be made. Like, hey, let's fast track this guy to the belt. Um, that was so my prediction. That was my prediction. I, if it's a five rounder, I believe if you look at Corey's previous fights, I was watching heaps of tape on this. People can get his back. People can get his back. 
And if TJ Dillashaw can hold him up against the fence in the back position and Aljamain Sterling can get a rear naked choke on him, and the only real way to beat him is via rear naked choke, a really, really good grappler is Umar. And if you watch all of Umar's fights, he jumps on rear naked chokes as well as Aljo. Maybe maybe a little bit worse because Aljo's a champ, but I feel like Umar's going to submit him via rear naked choke maybe round one or round two from what I've seen. Corey, uh, Sanhagen is my favorite guy, like, in the division to watch and study, like, the way he strikes, mainly because I have, like, a similar body type, you know, and I'm, like, so I, I feel like I watch guys like Max Holloway or, like, Corey Sanhagen, and I'm, like, oh, how do I take things from these guys, you know? Um, so I'm going to root for him, but, yeah, I mean, stylistically, I mean, Umar's just running through everybody, so we're going to see really – but I mean, all the all the signs point that he's pretty elite. So um, I like Sanhagen, though, man. I like the fact that he doesn't care. Like, I don't care what he's ranked. Like, I'm gonna fight him because I think he's one of the best. You know, and like, there's a lot of dudes in this in the UFC who wouldn't who wouldn't do that kind of thing. You know. I'm saying this right now. I think Corey Sanhagen's amazing. I he's a very very underrated fighter. And the only reason that, you know, he's not he's not the belt is because Piotr and Aljo are chilling up there. So an amazing fighter. Don't get me wrong that I'm putting, you know, putting him down at all. I just think that from what I've seen with Umar, when he fought around a 5'11 opponent, um, he actually rear naked choked that opponent, I believe, as well. So, yeah, very interesting dynamic to be in right now. Can you tell us about your athletic background? Uh, yeah, I wrestle. I grew up wrestling, um, so I wrestled through college and uh, got into a lot of fights as a kid. And so uh, I started fighting professionally um, my sophomore year at college. Um, I was still I was wrestling in college, and then I would just come home in the summertime and and uh, take a fight, and then go back to school and wrestle again, and then come back and do it again the next summer. So. Uh, did that for pretty much my first three pro fights, just taking fights in the summer in between wrestling seasons. And then when I graduated from college and got out of, you know, was done wrestling, I was like, all right, maybe I should learn how to fight, you know? <laughs> so, uh, how'd you go in your first three fights? I uh, won my first three, I think I was three. Yeah, I think, yeah, I won all my first three fights. Um, what was your striking like back then if you were wrestling? Oh, it was horrible. <laughs> Did you land punches or were you just ground and pound, Mark Coleman style? Yeah, it was like 100% just like keep your hands up and move around and then try to shoot on the guy. Um, <laughs> and and then, you know, just ground and pound. Even my jiu-jitsu was pretty, pretty uh, non-existent back then. So there's a little bit different era of MMA, you know. This was like back in like 2008. So... Um, yeah, it was a little bit different time, so you can kind of get away with it back then more than you can now. Sometimes I'll go to these amateur shows even, and I'll see guys with only a few amateur fights and like the, the, the talents that they have and the understanding of some aspect of martial arts, maybe not a full package, but like, Oh, this guy's a really good striker. This guy's a, a really good grappler. Um, and you get to see that at a younger and younger time back then. Yeah. It was kind of like, I mean, I was in. I was in fights in like tents with like dudes like with cut off jeans, smoking cigarettes, about to get in the cage, you know, so different era. That's great. That's great. 
what motivates you to compete in MMA? I just love it. You know, I love training. I, I think it does a lot for me personally. Like, just teach me. It's taught me so much about myself and what I can accomplish and, and do in life and having building like good discipline habits, you know, like MMA's done that for me. Wrestling's done that for me. Um, and you're just constantly trying to push yourself like to your own limits. Like, you know, what, what, what is the, the hardest you can train? Like, what is the hardest I can go? What's the most dialed in I could be? Uh, whether it be diet, you know, uh, film study, studying the game, training uh techniques um just getting better every day and it's just fun for me um i'm 35 almost 36 so i know that the the window is closing as far as like my competitive part but i'll always be um i'll always be in in a gym training you know and probably getting in scraps with whoever wants to so um i'm gonna i'm gonna let this yeah we'll see i got a couple years left i think of I still feel really good. I actually feel better now than I have in a long, long time. Um, I'm just becoming a better athlete, you know, with the right training and the right coaches that are like helping me become a better athlete. Uh, Cause I've always been a solid fighter, at least a gritty one. And now I'm becoming a better athlete with it. So um, yeah, man, I just, uh, I'll always be in this game one way or the other. You never know someone's longevity in the sport. You don't know when they're going to peak and when they're going to uh, fall off. For example, I like to use case studies of Glover Teixeira and Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee kind of peaked at in his 20s. Glover Teixeira kind of peaked in his 40s. You know what I mean? Very interesting sport. So when fighters say to me, oh, you know, I'm 35, I feel feel the best I've ever felt, I don't think, oh, you know, I don't, I don't think so. I think that it's not a size-fits-all um, circumstance. And I think it's really up to the individual and how they've maintained their health throughout the period and how much damage they've obtained, you know, how much damage they've incurred. So if you've been doing the right things, you're maintaining your health. I don't see a problem where you would um, not be able to fight for the next three, four years. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've never been knocked out. That's part of the reason why I feel like I've still got uh, some, some gas in the tank, you know, because I'm like, I haven't even been knocked out, so I'm still looking for that guy. And uh, I'm, sure I'm sure I'll find him eventually, but, um, you know, I'm going to, yeah, I don't know. I think I, if I get, like, knocked out cold, my wife will probably be like, all right, that's a wrap. But I got almost, <laughs> I, I got almost 30 fights now, so I'm like, all right. And I'm just like, I don't know. I think I'm going to have, like, the best part of my career in the next two years. I think you're right, you know, even though I'm, like, 35, like, I don't know. Just got a got a sneaky suspicion. Gritty, gritty veteran. Gritty veteran. Maybe so, yeah. Cody, in your opinion, there's so many memorable moments in a fighter's career. I want to ask you, what's a memorable moment from your career in general that people don't know about? Uh, just some of the crazy stories you you some of the crazy experiences you have and stories you uh, get to live to tell. Um, like we were talking, it was cool to meet all those guys in the house and be able to kind of swap stories. You're sitting around the house a lot of the day, you know, so um, a lot of time to talk. And uh, so we're always, we would always be swapping stories about our fight careers and the different kind of crazy things we've seen. Um, I remember uh, one of the ones I told was uh, I was on a, a card at a Native American uh, Indian casino. And uh, early on, it's probably like 2008, 2009. 
and uh you know it was very backwoodsy and like you know no commission or anything like that and i was on the car with a teammate of mine a 205 pounder by the name of mike cook uh he fought in elite xc uh he, he had some fights back in like the early to mid 2000s you know um some on some decent cards i think he fought uh like melvin manoff or somebody like that somebody pretty solid so anyway i'm on this on this little indian casino uh card with them and we're warming up in a tent with like a you know like a propane heater and uh i'm about to go out and i can't find my mouthpiece like it's not in my bag and i was like what the hell like where's my mouthpiece i know i packed my mouthpiece i'm not that dumb you know and in retrospect, later on, I found out that I had dropped the mouthpiece had fallen out of the, the bag in the truck. And so it was sitting between the seats, but I didn't know this at the time. And um, so I'm freaking out. They're like calling my name to go out to fight. And uh, so I asked Mike, I was like, Mike, can I borrow your mouthpiece? He's a 205 pounder. He's literally like twice my size, you know? And so he like reluctantly gives me his mouthpiece and I go out and I fight and uh, I get, I knock the guy out. And I got a TKO win. I'm super excited. And I throw the mouthpiece in the crowd. <laughs> and uh, as soon as I did it, like, I just, like, had instant, like, regret about it, you know. And he hadn't even fought yet. So then we had to go find his mouthpiece. And, uh, yeah, I ended up having to just buy him a new mouthpiece by the time this whole thing <laughs> finally settled down. But it's a funny old story that some of the crazy stuff you experience or see uh making dumb mistakes like that don't throw the mouthpiece in the crowd if the guy who's fighting next needs it you know right uh you just basically got rid of two mouthpieces before uh your friend went out to fight that's great um i want to ask you who have been your role models that have inspired you in your mma journey who do you look to and go i want to emulate what they've done um for me i just like watching guys who are true to themselves who you know, watching a guy like Robbie Lawler, uh, his whole career and then how he kind of ended things a couple weeks ago is pretty, pretty special for me to watch because I've been watching Robbie Lawler since uh, forever, you know, um, and kind of like he's always been one of our favorite fighters in my me and my brothers. Um, but we're big Diaz fans, too. Like we've always he's not from too far from us a few hours. So um, we, we grew up kind of liking the Diaz brothers a lot. And not even necessarily like the, the the gangster stuff, but more so like just the, the, the mentality, you know, like we're these dudes from Stockton that are going to take on the world and we're going to do it our way. And I like seeing fighters that stay true to themselves, you know, and stay true to who they are and um, stay, you know, stay with their people. You know, uh, I'm not a big fan of these like mega gyms. I, I don't like them. Like I get it. I do. But, like, people that stay true to themselves and stay with their people, um, yeah, I don't know. I got – there's, like – I just have an affinity for that, I guess. So, I don't know if there's any one guy. I know that, like, where I'm at in my career right now, like, my whole mentality is, like, I want to create car crashes and get bonuses. Like, that's it. So, um, that's pretty much what I'm going for now. Like, Michael Chandler was a great coach for me just because – that's what I feel like he's been fighting ever since he got in the UFC. And even before some of his Bellator fights were insane, but uh, I kind of want to take that same approach of just like, it's all about, you know, risk and reward in there. And so, you know, taking more risk and having fun with it and seeing, seeing if you can roll the dice a few more times, you know?
So would you consider Robbie your favorite fighter or do you have a different favorite fighter? I don't know if I have like a favorite, like this is my favorite fighter kind of guy. I think there's certain guys like Frankie Edgar, my little brother is like obsessed with him. I got him to do one of those cameos for his birthday one year. Uh, like I paid like 50 bucks to, for him to just say happy birthday, my little brother. I was like, hell yeah. Um, and like, so me and my brothers all have kind of our own little favorites, but the Diaz brothers for me have always been big. Um, Robbie has definitely always been one I've really liked. And even, even just like other random dudes, like um, the Dirty Bird. What's his name? Uh, they call him the, the Dirty di- Bird. Tim, the Tim Dirty Means. Bird. Tim, Tim Means. Means? Yeah. Tim Absolute Means. classic. Like, like just like these random fighters who you kind of like Chris Lytle back in the day. Me and my brother were like obsessed with him. He was a freaking savage. And he doesn't get the shine he deserves if you go back and watch some of his fights. He was on a tear in the UFC at one point. Um, but so you just kind of grow like where you really like a certain fighter. And so there's a lot of them for me over the years that I've kind of like just paid attention to a little bit more than anybody else, you know. Um, and so Robbie was definitely one of those guys. So it was awesome to see a couple of weeks ago, man. I was like, I was pumped. I was so pumped when that happened. I was like super excited for him. That's all we have time for, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for watching. Thank you, Cody, for coming on the show. Is there anything you want to plug before we wrap up the podcast? Uh, just, hey, we got another four or five weeks left of the Ultimate Fighter uh, on ESPN. Uh, things are going to get more and more interesting on the show, I'm, I'm, I'm predicting. Um, some crazy stuff still to come. So tune in. Uh, you know, I hope you guys have been enjoying it and uh, getting to know some of the fighters on the show. There were a lot of great characters. So, um, yeah, I guess that's my only plug, but uh, appreciate you having me on. Always good to meet people from across the pond. So, Follow Cody Gibson on Instagram, link in the description, and subscribe to Anything Combat on YouTube. Thanks, guys. Bye.